Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, our guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of December the 10th, 2017, I can gladly once again, tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, there was plenty of interesting football going around in the National Football League this afternoon. And the first contest that I want to touch was the biggie that took place at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum today between a battle of division leaders in the NFC as you had the 9-3 and three Los Angeles Rams who are currently in first place in the NFC West hosting the 10-2 and two Philadelphia Eagles who are in first place in the NFC East. It was also a battle of the first two picks of the 2016 NFL draft as you had quarterback Jared Goff for the Rams and Carson Wentz for the Eagles as these two guys appear to be the future not only of their respective teams but also the National Football League as a whole and the scoring got going early as the Rams scored early in the first quarter on a two-yard touchdown run from running back Todd Gurley to give them the early seven to nothing advantage However, Philly would immediately respond by putting together an eight-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off when Wentz connected with tight end Brent Selleck from five yards out to not the score at seven apiece. Later on in the first quarter, Philadelphia took their first lead of the contest when Wentz found tight end Trey Burton from 20 yards out, and this capped off a seven-play, 88-yard drive to give Philadelphia the lead at 14-7. to Early on in the second quarter, the Eagles would expand their lead as Wentz once again connected with Burton, this time from 11 yards out to give Philly the 21-7 advantage after they put together an 11-play 80-yard drive. The Rams would get back into the contest as on their ensuing drive, Goff connected with wide receiver Cooper Cup from six yards out to make it 21-14. to Now, it was 24 24- to 14 at the half in favor of Philadelphia. The Rams got the ball to begin the second half, and he marched down the field on a six-play, 71-yard drive, which is capped off when Goff connected with wide receiver Sammy Watkins from a yard out to make it 24-21. to Now, the momentum would shift in this contest as the Eagles were stopped, and they were forced to punt the football. However, that punt was blocked, and it was returned for a touchdown by Blake Countess to give the Rams the 28-24 to advantage. Now, after this point, things really changed in this contest. The Eagles put together a lengthy 15-play, 75-yard drive that ate up nearly eight minutes' worth of game clock. And on that drive, Philadelphia lost their quarterback, 
to a knee injury, and I'll get to that in a minute. Now, Carson Wentz did have to leave the game. However, he did stay in long enough, and this shows his toughness right here, to find Alshon Jeffrey on a two-yard touchdown pass to give Philadelphia the lead again at 31-28. to Now, in the early stages of the fourth quarter, Los Angeles would regain the lead as they put together a seven-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off by a one-yard run from Gurley, and now the Rams are in front 35-31. to And at this point, the Rams had to deal with Eagles' backup quarterback, Nick Foles. And this Rams defense did stop this Eagles offense. However, a costly unsportsmanlike penalty on their defense on third down for taunting allowed the Eagles to keep their drive going. It set up Jake Elliott for a field goal to cut their lead to just one point at 35-34. to Now, a big play right after that on the Rams' next drive as Goff, was uh, he, he committed a fumble after he was sacked by Eagles defensive end Chris Long. And Chris Long, this was a homecoming for him because he did it on the same field that his dad and Hall of Fame father, how he did it so many years for the then Los Angeles Raiders on their defensive line. And he forced a big fumble of golf that was recovered by Philadelphia. This would turn into more points as Jake Elliott connected on another field goal, this time from 33 yards out. And this was another drive that was aided by a Rams penalty for uh, lining up over the center. So now on the uh, field goal, so now Philly was back in front by the score of 37 to 35. Late in this contest, this Rams defense did have an opportunity to get off of the field and get the ball back to their offense. However, they could not stop Foles and his Eagles offense as he connected with wide receiver Nelson Aguilar and the former USC Trojan beat another USC former USC Trojan on that play in the Kale Roby Coleman as they were back on the same field where they played the collegiate ball and that gave the Eagles the opportunity to run off some more game clock and Philadelphia would ultimately score uh, later as time ran out and Philadelphia would go on to win this contest today by the score of 43 235. Now you look inside of the numbers, and while Wentz was in the game, he was 23 of 41 passing for 291 yards with four TDs and a pick, while Goff was 16 of 26 passing for a buck 99 with two TDs and no picks, and he was sacked twice. Todd Gurley did have 96 yards on the ground and two TDs on just 13 carries, while Jay Ajayi did have 78 yards on the ground for Philadelphia. Torrey Smith stepped up big today in the Eagles passing game with six receptions for 100 yards, while Trey Burton had five grabs for 71 yards and two TDs. And I talked about Nelson Aguilar, eight catches for 64 yards today. Cooper Cup had another solid day for the Rams receiving as he had five grabs for a buck 18 with a TD. And I talked about that big uh, force fumble and sacked by Chris Long, and it proved to be huge in this contest for Philadelphia. And I'll tell you like this. Philadelphia is 11-2, and and I give this team a ton of credit. They went on the road last week in a very tough environment last Sunday night, and they lost to a Seattle Seahawks team that is always difficult to deal with. You come back this week against another NFC West opponent on the road, and the, the Coliseum, when the Rams are good, it can be a hostile environment, and we saw that today. 
because the Rams were in, the fans were into it. Granted, there were plenty of Eagles fans there who made the trip across country. With that said, you look at the Eagles. They went into this contest. No Zach Ertz. They're starting all pro tight end. You lose Carson Wentz late in this contest to a knee injury, and you got to go out there and you do it with a backup quarterback and Nick Foles. That's huge for this team. And it's going to be bigger coming down the stretch because now, you know, the reports are coming out that Philly feels, or fears rather, that Carson Wentz tore his ACL and he's going to be out for the season. And for Philly, I, I, I guarantee you, there are plenty of fans and plenty of people that follow this team within the city of Philadelphia that are going to say, what was me? Here we go again, because things were looking like they were coming together for Philadelphia this season. And now this injury could change things. Now, Nick Foles, he's not going to remind people of Johnny Unitas out there at quarterback. But the thing is, he's a guy that can hold it down for this team. And I think this is an opportunity for everybody else to step up on this Philadelphia team. And I think we saw some of that today, defensively and offensively as well, because guys really stepped up. They went out there and they answered the bell and they made plays. Now, going forward, Philadelphia still has a good shot to get home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. And in order for this team to get to the Super Bowl and ultimately win it, all of those guys are going to have to step up. Now, can Philadelphia win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles? I don't think so. But anything is possible in the month of January. Philly's going to get easily, I think they're going to get at least one home game. I think they finish with home field advantage. I look at the rest of their schedule, and I think it is definitely doable for this team. So if you're Philadelphia, you know, you just got to recoup from this because this is a very tough loss because in a very short period of time, Carson Wentz, showed that he can be the guy. Now, on the flip side for the Rams, this is very telling of them. They're 9-4 and four now. Three of your four losses have come at home. And three of your four losses have come against teams that are in the playoff hunt. Of course, the Vikings and Eagles are leading their respective divisions, and you also lost at home to the Seattle Seahawks. And coupled in that, your first loss of the season came at home to the Washington Redskins. Now, people are going to say, well, the Rams are only, they've only been able to beat up on the bad teams. And honestly, you, you, you take care of who you're supposed to take care of on your schedule, but at the same time, you don't apologize for that. But this was an opportunity for the Rams to come back and make another statement. I know that they beat the New Orleans Saints at home a few weeks ago, and they needed to try to go out there and protect their home field, which they did not do this afternoon. You look at this Rams passing game and say what you want. It is not the same since Robert Woods has been out of the lineup with an injury. At the same time, you talk, we've heard and we talk about this Rams defense. Where were they today? You look at the dumb penalties that the Rams committed to allow the Eagles to extend drives. You look at the fact that Philadelphia possessed the football today for, near, for more than 39 minutes. You've got to get off of the field. Plain and simple. And if you're out there against a backup quarterback in Nick Foles, granted, he has been a starter in the NFL before. You have to go out there and make the necessary plays in order to help your team win. And if you're the Rams, you're in a dogfight with the Seattle Seahawks for the top spot in the NFC West. 
this is this is what separates the mediocre teams from the good teams. This is still a young squad, and I mean they've shown some growing up during the season, but now we're really going to see what they're made of. And I said that coming into this tough stretch because things are going to get tougher and they still are going to be difficult for the Rams uh, coming down the stretch here, but they missed an opportunity today, especially once Wentz went out in the lineup to be unable to step up and get that victory against the Eagles, because now there's a big difference from being nine and four and being 10 and three, because you win this game, you find yourself tied with Philly you didn't get the tiebreaker over Philly heading into the playoffs. And there's a difference when the postseason rolls around and you have to travel as opposed to having teams come to your place. And I think that is something that the Rams missed today as this was indeed a golden opportunity for them. Now you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. The Rams will be on, on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the Seattle Seahawks. While for Philadelphia, they will find themselves on the road for the third straight week as they will be in the division to take on the New York Giants. Now, another big one in the NFC this afternoon had the 10-2 and Minnesota Vikings on the road to take on the 8-4 and Carolina Panthers. And Carolina was able to get the scoring going early in the first quarter when Jonathan Stewart exploded for a 60-yard run to give the Panthers the early 7 to nothing advantage. However, Minnesota would immediately respond by putting together a 10-play 75-yard drive that ate up nearly four and a half minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped off when quarterback Case Keenum found tight end Kyle Rudolph on an 18-yard touchdown pass to knock the score at seven apiece. Now, early in the second quarter, Stewart scored on his second TD run of the game, this time from a yard out, to put the Panthers up by the score of 14-7. And this was capped off a 14-play, 89-yard drive, which ate up more than seven minutes' worth of game clock to give Carolina the 14-7 to advantage. Now, it was 14-13 to in favor of Carolina heading into the dressing room when they put together a long drive in the third quarter, which was capped off when quarterback Cam Newton found wide receiver Devin Funches on an 18-yard touchdown pass to give Carolina the 21-13 lead, and this capped off a 10-play, 75-yard drive for the home team. Now, it was 24-13 going to the fourth quarter in favor of Carolina when Minnesota was able to begin a rally in the late stages of the fourth, Keenum connected with wide receiver Adam Thielen on a 52-yard uh, catch and run to make it 24-21 to as Minnesota went for the two-point conversion, and it was successful when Keenum connected with tight end Blake Bell. Now, this was a game-changer because – on the Panthers' ensuing drive, Newton attempted to, to uh, connect with rookie running back Christian McCaffrey on a third down play. The ball, well, Cam Newton did not set his feet. Uh, McCaffrey was not able to properly extend for the ball, and this ball was uh, picked off by the Vikings, and they put their offense in prime uh, field position to take the lead. However, the Panthers' defense stepped up and answered the bell, and they were able to prevent Minnesota from getting to the end zone and taking the lead as they had to settle for a Kai Forbath field goal from 27 yards out to knock the score at 24 apiece. And this was important because Carolina got the ball back and it was all about that Wildcat. And Cam Newton faked a handoff to one of the running backs and he faked uh, a Vikings defender out of his shoes 
and he did the rest as he exploded down the field for a big run, and that set up Jonathan Stewart to score his third touchdown of the game to put Carolina back in front by the score of 31-24, and the Panthers would go on the whole serve at home today by that score. And you look inside of the numbers, Case Keenum had a tough afternoon versus his Panthers defense as he was 27 of 44 passing for 280 yards. He had two touchdown passes, but he was also picked off twice, and he was sacked six times by this Panthers defense. Cam Newton did not have a big day passing as he was just 13 of 25 for a buck 37 with a TD and a pick, and he was sacked twice. But he didn't need to have a big day because you look at what the Panthers were able to do running the football. Jonathan Stewart had 103 yards. Cam Newton had 70 yards. And when you put everything together, the Panthers rushed today for 216 yards and, of course, those three rushing TDs from Jonathan Stewart. Now, Adam Thielen had himself another big afternoon as he had six grabs for a buck five with a TD. And if this guy is not a pro bowler this year, there is definitely a problem. Now, Luke Keekley, the all-pro middle linebacker for Carolina, had 14 tackles, while Kawan Short had two of Carolina's six sacks as they were able to go on and get this crucial victory this afternoon at home. And for the Panthers, you look at it, they suffered that tough loss on the road versus the Saints last week, and they got swept by New Orleans, so they know that they really uh, cannot finish it with a tie uh, with the Saints if they are going to go out there and win this division. So this was huge for them this afternoon uh, to go out there and take care of their business. And you look at Carolina, this was a typical way the Carolina wins games. They play right-south defense, they run the football, and they limit Cam Newton having to go back there and pass. I mean, Cam Newton can pass, don't get me wrong, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but the Panthers are at their best when they are running the football. That is their identity, and I think they got, they got back to that today, and that was big. And they did it against a very good Minnesota team because Minnesota came into Charlotte today, and they were rolling because the Vikings – had an eight-game winning streak, and a lot of people, even with Case Keenum at quarterback, think that this team has the goods to make the Super Bowl. So this was a big win. And if you're the Vikings, I mean, you're right there in the hunt. I mean, obviously you got the NFC North sewn up, but now, you know, you're trying to get a first-round bye and potentially home field advantage. And this was a tough loss against a good team, and there's a big possibility that these two teams will meet in January in the postseason. So you got to fix this up because if you're Minnesota, you got punched in the mouth. And I say that because the Vikings' bread and butter is their defense. And that was not the case today as Carolina got them for more than 200 yards on the ground. So the Vikings and head coach Mike Zimmer definitely have to go back and try to shore things up next week. Now you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. Carolina will be at home once again to take on the Green Bay Packers, while Minnesota will find themselves at home as well as they will host the Cincinnati Bengals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231 Zero three zero nine. I repeat, six two six two three one zero three zero nine. Now, moving right along, it was a key showdown in the AFC West in a battle of six and six teams, and there is never any love lost when you're talking about the Oakland Raiders getting together 
with the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was three to nothing early in the second quarter in favor of Kansas City when they scored the game's first touchdown. And it was a one-yard run from running back Kareem Hunt. And this capped off a 14-play, 86-yard drive, which ate up more than seven minutes' worth of game time for the home team as Kansas City was up by the score of 10 to nothing. Now, it was 19 to nothing late in the third quarter when Kansas City basically put this game away as running back Kendrick West scored on a 13-yard run to make it 26 to nothing. Oakland would score a couple of garbage touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but it was all for naught as it was just window dressing as Kansas City would go on to win this contest today by the score of 26-15. to 15. And you look inside of the numbers, Raiders quarterback Derek Carr was 24-41 uh, passing for 211 yards with a TD and two picks while he was sacked three times. His counterpart, Alex Smith, was 20-34 of 34 passing for 268 yards with no TDs and a pick, and he was sacked four times by this Raiders defense. But I look at the ground attack today for Kansas City as they had 165 yards on the ground this afternoon with 116 of those coming from Mr. Kareem Hunt on 25 carries. And for Kansas City, this was a big win because if there was ever a team that needed to get on track, it's the Chiefs. This team was 5-0. and They had a victory over the New England Patriots, and a lot of people are looking at them as potentially getting home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. And ever since then, you know, things have not gone well. I know they they suffered that home loss versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they had a couple of questionable losses on the road at MetLife Stadium. You go back a few weeks ago, and they lost to the New York Giants, and then they came back last week, and they went out of their way to give the game away to the New York Jets which they ultimately did. And after that hot 5-0 and start, they found themselves at 6-6. Six and six. So it was big for KC to go back out there and get this victory today. And to do it by getting back to what, you know, got you off to that hot start, getting the ball to Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey are the three playmakers that Kansas City needs to consistently get the football to if they are going to win. And they definitely did it with Kareem Hunt today, and that was a big reason why they got the win today at Arrowhead. Now, for the Raiders, somebody forgot to tell them that there was a football game this afternoon. And there was no, and I mean no, sense of urgency from this Raiders team this afternoon, which was mind-boggling. You're 6-6. Six and six. You came into the play today tied with the, uh, with the Chiefs and Chargers, for first place in the AFC West. This is a divisional game, and you had an opportunity if you took care of your business and if the Chargers had lost their contest, you could have been all alone in first place with three games to go. And the Raiders did not compete at all. I, I just don't get it. There, there was no sense of urgency from this club offense, defense, or special teams. It simply was not there. And you know what? When you play like that, you deserve to lose, and that is exactly what the Raiders did this afternoon as they fell on the road in a crucial contest. Now you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. The Raiders will be at home next Sunday night to take on the Dallas Cowboys, while Kansas City will find themselves in week number 15 at home this Saturday night 
to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, another big one today, you had the 8-4 and four Seattle Seahawks taking on the 8-4 and four Jacksonville Jaguars. And when you think about trash talking, the Seahawks have been at the best in the NFL over the past few years, and the Jaguars are definitely ascending there as they're kind of like the younger version of the Seahawks team. And it was 3 nothing at the half in favor of Jacksonville, and this game really, you know, took off in the second half. The Jaguars uh, early in the third quarter got the game's first touchdown when quarterback Blake Bortles connected with rookie wide receiver D.D. Westbrook from 18 yards out to give them the 10 to nothing advantage. Now it was 10 to three midway through the third quarter in favor of Jacksonville when Seattle was able to tie the game when quarterback Russell Wilson connected with wide receiver Doug Baldwin on a 26 yard pass to make the score 10 apiece. Jacksonville would immediately respond as on the first play of their ensuing drive Bortles connected with Keelan Cole on a 75 yard touchdown pass to put them back in front by the score of 17 to 10 and later on in the third quarter the Jags were able to extend their lead when Leonard Fournette scored on a one-yard run to make it 24 to 10. Now it was 27 to 10 early in the fourth quarter in favor of Jacksonville and they appeared to be on easy street however Seattle would uh, attempt to rally in this in this contest and it was almost uh, successful on one play, Russell Wilson connected with Paul Richardson on a 61-yard touchdown pass to make it 27-17. to It was 30-17 to in favor of Jacksonville later in the fourth quarter when Wilson connected with Tyler Lockett on a 74-yard touchdown pass to make it 30-24. to However, Seattle would never get the ball back again as Jacksonville was able to run out the clock, and I'll get to that in a minute because that was a process today as Jacksonville secured the 30-24 victory. And you look inside of the numbers, Russell Wilson was 17 of 31 passing today for 271 yards with three TDs and three costly interceptions against this Jacksonville defense. Blake Bortles was 18 of 27 passing for 268 yards with two TDs, and more importantly, no interceptions, and he was not sacked. Jacksonville did have 156 yards on the ground with 101 of those coming from Mr. Leonard Fournette on 24 carries. You look at the defenses, Byron Maxwell led Seattle with nine tackles while Miles Jack did step up with six tackles this afternoon for the Jags. However, this game ended on a very poor note when Jacksonville was attempting to run out the clock with under two minutes left, and it all started when Seahawks defensive lineman Michael Bennett attempted to roll up uh, Jacksonville's center on his knee, and this led to a fight between both teams on the field. Now, subsequently, uh, there was a lot of pushing and shoving, and there there were some punches thrown, and Seahawks defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson was ejected. Now, on the very next play, Seahawks defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson was called for a personal foul because he basically went out there and attempted to do the same thing that Michael Bennett just did, and he, just like Richardson, got tossed. However, his exit from the field was not as was not pretty as Jefferson was going back to the Seahawks dressing room. A, a Jaguars fan decided to throw a drink at Jefferson. Jefferson did turn um, turned around 
and went to confront the fan. And as he was talking to fans, there are a, a few more fans uh, attempted to throw drinks at Jefferson. And, and at this point, security went up in the stands to attempt to identify uh, the fan or fans that were throwing the drinks. And then on top of that, Jefferson himself attempted to go into the stands before he had to be restrained by stadium and Seahawks team security. Now, uh, Jefferson did address the issue after the contest. And like he said, you know, to the reporters, if you were in that situation, what would you do? And I mean, there's a very fine line because at the end of the day, this is a bad, this is a bad moment for the national football league. And, you know, the NFL has been dealing with a lot in regards to their image this season, and this is not going to make it better. Now, I will say this. In a situation like this, there are no winners because there is a fine line that you don't cross. And as fans, you, have, you, you pay your ticket, you have the opportunity to go that, to, to, a, to a stadium and cheer for your team. There are fans out there that they love to heckle, but unfortunately people want to take it too far. If you're there, you're there to watch a game and enjoy the game. And enjoying the game does not mean that you can take a drink and decide to throw it at a player, whether it's an opposing player or a player on the team that you came to cheer for. There is no excuse for that. And the thing is this. People always tell players that it is a a privilege to play in the National Football League. It's also a privilege for those people to sit in the stands and watch those games. Because just, just as the NFL has a code of conduct for their players, it's also a code of conduct for fans. And you simply cannot go out there and throw drinks or anything of that matter at players or anybody else in the stands as well. And I hope that Jaguar security along with NFL security will work together and find the folks who threw those drinks at Richardson and not only disqualify them for going back to any more Jaguars home games, disqualify them from attending any more NFL games, period. Because there is no platform for this. Now, I know there are going to be some people that will attempt to beat up Richardson, no pun intended, for, you know, attempting to go into the stands. But I'll ask anybody out there, if somebody threw a drink at you, what would you do? There's a fine line that people don't want athletes to cross, but at the same time, there was a fine line that fans should not cross as well. And I think, you know, fans take it too far as far as getting in, like, um, you know, trying to interact with players. And I'll tell you like this, you don't want to poke the bear because we saw what happened years ago with the malice at the palace with the Indiana Pacers. And people threw things at Ron Artest. And unfortunately, you know, Ron reacted in a way that, you know, led to a lot of bad things for himself in the NBA. It took him a long time to, you know, get from under that. And unfortunately for Ron Artest, when, like for the average person, as soon as they hear his name, that's the first thing that they're going to think about. Nobody knew Quentin Jefferson in the National Football League like that. But now people are going to be talking about this for the next week. I don't see a situation where the National Football League finds him, but I guarantee you, or, or suspends him rather, but I guarantee you that he will be fined. And, you know, he will have a sit down with NFL officials, uh, representatives from the league office over this, because it's a bad, it, 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 uh, it, it's a bad image for the NFL. 
and the NFL is really, you know, that they're trying to like clean up their quote unquote image because some people out there do feel that the NFL does have an image problem, but this definitely uh, did not help that situation this afternoon. And it's unfortunate because this was a great game between two good teams. And it's unfortunate that most people, that's the last thing that people are going to be talking about from this contest, from what we saw for the final few minutes here, um, you know, between uh, Jefferson and some fans. Now, you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. And for Jacksonville, they would be at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Houston Texans, while for the Seahawks, they will be at home to take on the Los Angeles Rams. So, folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231 Zero three zero nine. I repeat, six two six two three one zero three zero nine. Now Jacksonville won that game, but I guarantee you that they were scoreboard watching as the eight and four Tennessee Titans went on the road today to take on the five and seven Arizona Cardinals. And this was a defensive struggle throughout. If you were a fan of offensive football, it was not pretty. It was only seven to nothing at the half in favor of Tennessee as midway through the second quarter, Derrick Henry scored the game's first and only touchdown. And why do I bring that up? Because the rest of the game was dominated by defense and the Cardinals did just enough as Phil Dawson connected on four count on four field goals this afternoon in the second half, and Arizona was able to get the 12-7 to victory. And like I said, this was not a game that was a, a defensive, I mean, a, an offensive outburst from either club as neither team was able to accumulate uh, 300 yards this afternoon. So if you're the Titans, and I, I said that this was going to be a tough game for them, I figured that they could find a way to win, but unfortunately they did not. But, you know, if you're the Titans, this was a tough game because playing against Arizona on the road, especially with this Bruce, with Bruce Arians as the head coach, is always a tough place for you to go out there and get a victory. I mean, your defense kept you in the contest. They sacked uh, Cardinals quarterback Blaine Gabbard eight times today. Two of those came from Jarrell Casey. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, meet me at the quarterback today. But this was a situation for Titans quarterback – Marcus Mariota. He needed to step up and make the big plays for his team to get them to victory on the road. And unfortunately for his sake, he was unable to do that. And for the Cardinals, they're six and seven. And it's not just about them playing spoiler because I look at this team and they've got an opportunity to, uh, you know, I mean, they're still in the hunt. They got a lot of work in front of them, but they're still in the hunt for a postseason spot in the NFC as a wild card. So with Bruce Arians leading the way, I know, you know, you can't put a lot of stock in a team where Blaine Gabbard is the starting quarterback, and, of course, he's doing that because of injuries, but you can never count this club out. Now, you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these teams. The Titans will be on the road once again to take on another NFC West foe. This time they will face the San Francisco 49ers, while Arizona will find themselves on the road to take on the Washington Redskins. And speaking of those Redskins, they came into play today 
with a record of five and seven, and they were on the road to take on one of the hottest teams in the National Football League in the six and six Los Angeles Chargers. Now it was three to nothing in favor of the Chargers late in the first quarter when quarterback Phillip Rivers connected with tight end Hunter Henry on an eight-yard touchdown pass, and this capped off a 10-play, 92-yard drive for the Lightning Bolts to give them the 10 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 13 to nothing early in the second quarter in favor of Los Angeles when Washington got back into the game when quarterback Kirk Cousins connected with tight end Vernon Davis on a 23-yard touchdown pass as this culminated a nine-play, 77-yard drive, which ate up nearly five minutes of game clock to make it 13 to six. And to give you an idea of how the afternoon was for Washington today, Nick Rose missed the extra point. Now, the score remained that way for not too long, as on the first play of the Chargers' ensuing drive, Rivers connected with Tyrell Williams on a 75-yard touchdown pass to make it 20-6. to Now, it was 23-6 to at the half in favor of Los Angeles when they put this contest away in the third quarter as Melvin Gordon scored on a one-yard run to make it 30-6. to And the Lightning Bolts would go on to win this afternoon by the score of 30 217. And you look inside of the numbers, Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins was 15 of 27 passing for a buck 51 with a TD and a pick while he was sacked twice, while Phillip Rivers was 18 of 31 passing today for 319 yards with two TDs. Melvin Gordon did have 78 yards on the ground, while Tyrell Williams had 132 yards on four grabs, and Keenan Allen had another big game with six catches for 111 yards. Looks like we have a caller coming in. I'm going to bring that caller in. Caller, welcome to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. Hello, sir. Very happy Cowboys fan today. And, okay. Uh, not, be, not because the Cowboys won. Mr. Carson Wentz is out mm-hmm. for the year. And the Eagles will not get their Super Bowl. Now, sir, I don't root for player injuries at all. But the Eagles fans, if you remember, cheered for Romo injuries. And they cheered when Michael Irvin was laying on the field at the old vet possibly paralyzed. I have no sympathy at all for the Eagles fans at all. And with put it this way, no Wentz, Mm -hmm. no Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean – it's one of those things. I mean, I would, I, I would never, you know, personally, I would, I would never cheer for, you know, somebody to go out with an injury. But I will say this: that injury really, you know, changes things in the NFC. Because I mean, you look at it, Philadelphia, they still got the victory today, and that was a tough victory. And I mean, they had a lot going against them because they came into this contest, they didn't have Zach Ertz at tight end, so that was already a disadvantage that they had to deal with. Uh, you're on the road in on the West Coast for the second consecutive week, and you know then then you come back and you lose your quarterback. Now Nick Foles, he started games in the NFL, and you know you can win some games here. Well, they got three games left in the regular season, so they can still win some games and at least get a first round bye in the NFC playoffs. But I mean, when it well, comes down to having to, have to worry about Nick Foles as far as like leading to leading you to a Super Bowl, that definitely is not going to happen. Do you remember that one year Nick Foles had? He had uh, like 27 touchdowns and three interceptions. It was yeah. like uh, 
out, out of nowhere. And, and you're exactly right. They play the Giants next week, and then they have right. the Raiders at home. Most mm-hmm. likely, they're going to have home field. They're going to be the one seed in the NFC. Right. Now, the NFC is completely wide open now. You've got Case right. Keenum. Uh, what's he proven in the playoffs? You've got a New Orleans Saints team that's going to probably have to go on the road. You know, they're real good on the turf at home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have Carolina. They have Cam Newton questions. You know, you have the Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to come back? Could he pull a miracle and somehow get them in the playoffs? I mean, it's it's totally wide open now with Wentz going out. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, it, it's crazy that – you know, that the Eagles win that game against the Rams, but yet Wentz goes out for the game. It, it's just, I don't know if it's kind of the Eagles have grasped what has happened yet. You know, if you're a Philly sports fan, especially a Philly football fan, you got to be going, here we go again. Because, and I mean, this goes back years. And, I mean, you go back to 1988 with the infamous Fog Bowl, where, you know, a lot of people felt, that that Philadelphia Eagles team, you know, had what it took to win the Super Bowl because, of course, that defense with Reggie White and Jerome Brown and Seth Joyner, you know, under Buddy Ryan, and then, you know, the fog, you know, comes off of Lake Michigan to uh, uh, to uh, Soldier Field. Uh, caller, if you're out there, I just want to let you know that you dropped. So if you do have an opportunity to call back, you can. Uh, but the, And, you know, things, you know, fell apart for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in that playoff game. Then, you know, the Eagles consistently had good teams with Buddy Ryan, but they never won a playoff game. Uh, you go back to the 1990s, the Eagles still had good teams with Randall Cunningham, and it never came uh, through for them. You know, then you had the Jerome Brown untimely death, you know, in, in the early 90s, and that changed things for them. You go back to 2000, the early 2000s, Philly made four consecutive trips to the NFC Championship game. They finally got through in 2004, and then they had to win those two playoff games without Terrell Owens, and then he came back in the Super Bowl on one leg, and then, of course, you know, Donovan McNabb got sick in that game, and that really, you know, changed what Philadelphia can do. Uh, You know, Andy Reid was so close so many times with this Philadelphia team, but it never worked out. Uh, You know, they thought that Chip Kelly was going to be the guy to turn around, and Doug Peterson and um, Howie Roseman have gotten Philadelphia back to what they were several years ago under Andy Reid. And then, of course, now the Carson Wentz injury. So, I mean, if you're Philly, I I really don't know where you go from here. Like I said before, you know, Nick Foles is going to have to be the guy uh, for the remainder of the season. Uh, luckily for them, they have this division shored up right now, but they they just got to rally around Nick Foles. And, I mean, I'm going to say it um, and you know, Dick Vermeil mode when – uh, Trent Green went down, uh, I think it was back in 1999 for the then St. Louis Rams. And, you know, he infamously said, you know, we are going to rally around Kurt Warner. Well, now the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have to rally around Nick Foles. And I think we saw some of that uh, this, uh, this, this, this evening, rather, when, you know, players like Chris Long stepped up and made plays, Nelson Aguilar, you know, and they went out there and they did just enough to get that victory, but with Nick Foles under center, I'm really not going to have, you know, a lot of optimism for them as uh, as far as making the uh, Super Bowl. Now, you know, getting back very briefly to the Redskins and the Chargers, I will say this. 
You look at the Chargers right now. I said it for the past few weeks. This is a team that nobody wants to face. They are hot right now. This team was 0-4. And they've got themselves in the mix, uh, not only for a postseason spot, but right now I've got to make them the favorite to win the AFC West. And I've been saying it for the past few weeks. You look at the way that they're playing. They have a defense that flies around to the football. They have a veteran quarterback. And I think those are the two biggest things that are going to come down to who wins this uh, division, who's playing the best defense, and who has the best quarterback. And right now, both of those edges go to the Chargers. Now, for the Washington Redskins, what can you say? I mean, this was a tough, another tough loss for this team. Uh, they're 5-8 and eight right now. There aren't going to be any playoffs for this club uh, coming out of the nation's capital. I mean, the litany of injuries that the Redskins have had to deal with, especially on the offensive line this season, they're really catching up to this team. And at the worst time, and, you know, for Washington, you just got to try to, you know, figure it out, get it together for 2017, or pardon me, 2018, rather, and just attempt to move forward. Now, looking ahead to week number 15 for both the Redskins and Chargers, the Chargers will be on the road this Sunday night, pardon me, Saturday night, rather, to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, while Washington will be at home next Sunday afternoon to face the Arizona Cardinals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, you had the 6-6 Detroit Lions traveling to take on the 4-8 and eight Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And for Detroit, you simply never know what you're going to get from this club, and this afternoon showed that again. Now, midway through the first quarter, the Lions scored the first touchdown of the game when Theo Riddick punched it in from two yards out to give the gang from the Motor City the early 7 to nothing advantage. Tampa Bay would immediately respond by putting together an 11-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up more than five minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped, capped off with a one-yard run from running back Doug Martin to knock the score at seven apiece. Now, midway through the second quarter, Tampa, pardon me, Detroit took the lead after a Tampa turnover as Matthew Stafford connected with wide receiver Golden Tate from five yards out to make the score 14 to 7. Another uh, Tampa turnover put Detroit in position to score again late in the third quarter as Theo Riddick scored on his second touchdown run of the game, this time from 18 yards out to give the Lions the 21-7 advantage. Tampa Bay would rally in the fourth quarter as early on in the period. Jameis Winston would connect with rookie tight end O.J. Howard from two yards out to make it 21-14. Later on in the fourth, Winston would connect with offensive lineman Leonard Webster, or Wester rather, who was obviously eligible on the play from two yards out to not the score at 21 apiece. However, in the waning seconds of the contest, Matt Prater would connect on a 46-yard field goal to give the Lions the 24-21 lead, and Detroit would go on to win this afternoon by that score. Both teams were able to get to the 400-yard mark in total offense, but this game was mired by turnovers. Tampa Bay committed five of them, while Detroit had three. 
Both quarterbacks were picked off twice, but they did have big passing games. Matthew Stafford was 36 or 44 passing today for 381 yards with a TD and two picks, while Jameis Winston did have he was 26 of 38 passing for 285 yards with two TDs and two picks, and he was sacked three times by this Lions defense. Tight end Eric Ebron had 10 grabs for 94 yards for the Lions, while Golden Tate had eight receptions for 85 yards and a touchdown. And for the Lions, it has not been pretty all season long. But you look at them, and they're 7-6, and six and they're hanging right in there. And that was a tough loss that they had last week versus the Baltimore Ravens on the road. And I really don't know what to say about this club. They just – they're an enigma. You really haven't paid attention to the Lions all season long, but they, they found a way – to be seven and six and they are in the midst of the playoff hunt now for tampa bay it's a situation where you know what they were so close to making the playoffs last year this is a young team and when you are a young team you have to mature in a hurry when the expectations change Tampa Bay has not been able to keep up with their expectations all season long. I know that Jameis Winston did miss some time with that shoulder injury. However, even when he has played, Tampa Bay has not been a good team. And that showed again today with the turnovers and the costly errors as it cost them an opportunity to win a football game. Now, you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. And next Sunday afternoon, or pardon me, Tampa Bay, rather, is going to be playing on Monday night when they host the Atlanta Falcons. While for Detroit, they will find themselves at home this Saturday afternoon to take on the Chicago Bears. Now, in Cleveland today, you had the winless Browns with a record of 0-12 taking on the 6-6 Green Bay Packers who were looking to hang around in the playoffs uh, picture still without the services of starting quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Now, midway through the first quarter, the Packers got the scoring going when Jamal Williams, the rookie running back, was the recipient of a 30-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Brett Hundley as this capped off an 11-play, 74-yard drive that ate up more than six minutes' worth of game, game clock for the green and gold as a pack had the seven to nothing advantage. Now Cleveland would immediately respond by putting together a seven play 84 yard drive. When Deshaun Kaiser connected with wide receiver, Josh Gordon from 18 yards out to knock the score at seven apiece late in the second quarter, Cleveland would take their first lead of the game. When Kaiser would connect with running back Duke Johnson, Jr., from seven yards out to make it 14-7 to seven, as this capped off a 12-clay 70-yard drive, which ate up nearly seven minutes' worth of game clock. Late in the third quarter, it was another long drive for the Browns, this time a nine-play 88-yard drive, which is capped off when Kaiser found Corey Coleman from two yards out to put Cleveland up by the score of 21-7, to seven, and it looked like they were on their way to the getting their first victory of the season. However, the fourth quarter would be a different story. As early on in that quarter, the Packers scored again. This time, Williams was on the ground from a yard out to make it 21-14 to as this capped off a 13-play, 75-yard drive for the Pack. Now, 
Cleveland did have an opportunity to stop Green Bay late, and they came up short. As with just 17 seconds left in regulation, Hundley connected with wide receiver Devontae Adams from a yard out to knock the score at 21 apiece and send this contest to overtime. Now, Cleveland would win the coin toss for overtime, and obviously they accepted. However, Deshaun Kaiser made a rookie mistake as he was pressured from Packers outside linebacker Clay Matthews the third, still attempted to force the football down the field. His arm was hit as he was releasing the ball, which led to a jump ball in the middle of the field, which is something that a quarterback never wants to do. It was intercepted by Green Bay. It put them in prime position, and Hunley would connect with Devontae Adams on a 25-yard touchdown pass rather to win this contest as Green Bay escaped Cleveland with the 7-21 victory. And you look inside of the numbers, Brett Hundley probably had the best game of his NFL career today as he was 35-46 for passing for 265 yards or three TDs and a pick. Deshaun Kaiser, uh, pardon me, no picks for Hundley. Deshaun Kaiser was 20-28 of passing for 214 yards with three touchdowns and two picks while he was sacked twice by this Packers defense. The Browns did have a big game day on the ground as Isaiah Crowell had 121 yards on just 19 carries. However, it was not enough as Cleveland suffered defeat for the 13th time this season. Ouch. So close, yet so far for the Browns. And a lot of people had this game circled as many people felt that this was going to be the game that Cleveland was going to win if they were going to win a game this season. And they simply could not get it done. And, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't want to sound like a broken record. Three guys on this team who are the age of 30 or older. Three guys on this team that have playoff experience. You can't have anybody out there, you know, as rookies and second-year guys and expect them to compete when nobody and win games ultimately if, if nobody is there to teach them as far as what it takes to win and compete in the NFL. It is a recipe for disaster. Deshaun Kaiser should not be starting quarterback for the Browns this season. He should have went out there and found them a veteran, brought back a Josh McCown, brought in a Mark Sanchez. I mean, granted, these aren't guys that you're going to build a team around, but at least they know what it takes to be in the National Football League. And the Browns did not do that, and that's why, you know, they continuously lose. Now, for the Packers, for the second and third quarter of this game, it looked like they were sleepwalking. And, you know, the light switch went on in the fourth, and it was like, hey, you know what? We can't lose this game for so many different reasons because you don't want to be the team that gives Cleveland their first win of the season. And at the same time, you don't want to lose this game when you were trying to hang around in the playoff picture because typically when teams lose games like this to bad teams, they can't recover from it in order to make the playoffs. And luckily for the Packers, they were able to save face this afternoon. Like I said, Brett Hundley probably played the best game of his career, and he's trying to hold it down for Aaron Rodgers. Now, it's not going to be a situation like it was a few years ago where Aaron Rodgers walked into, onto the field in the final week and helped Green Bay win the division because, you know, Minnesota has this wrapped up. But it's a situation where, you know, Green Bay – it's still in the mix for a playoff spot, and, you know, the Packers are hopeful 
depending on the scan of uh, of uh, Aaron Rodgers is coming up this week, that he will be on the field and starting for them when they take on the Carolina Panthers next Sunday afternoon. Anything is possible. But the thing is, any, if anybody thinks that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is just going to walk in or ride in, rather, on his white horse and save this team this time around, it's going to be a little bit tougher just because of the teams that are in front of the Packers. Now you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. Cleveland will be at home to take on the Baltimore Ravens. And like I previously mentioned, the Pack will be on the road to take on the Carolina Panthers. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, it was a winter wonderland in western New York this afternoon as the 6-6 six six Buffalo Bills hosted the 3-9 and nine Indianapolis Colts, and the snow was falling rapidly. There was easily five or six inches of snow on the field, and I give credit to those guys for going out there and playing because the traction was not good. Nobody could really run around. There was a lot of punting going on. Uh, there was a lot of running of the football because teams really could not throw. And I arguably, at one point, I said, whoever scores first is going to win this contest. The Bills did score late in the second quarter when rookie quarterback Nathan Peterman actually completed an eight-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin to put the Bills up by the score of 7 to nothing, and it looked like that was going to be enough to win. However, in the waning stages of the fourth quarter, the Colts put together a 19-play, 77-yard drive, and it started off early in the fourth quarter. And it cap. It, it, well, by the time it was finished, it was a 70 second, 76 seconds left, rather, or, uh, rather, in the fourth quarter, as this drive ate up nearly 10 minutes worth of game clock. It was capped off when quarterback Jacoby Brissett found tight end Jack Doyle on a three-yard touchdown pass to not to, to make it seven to six. Now Indianapolis did not want to attempt the extra point as they decided to go for the two-point conversion, and it was successful when Brissett found Doyle again. However, Indy was called for offensive pass interference. Then they had to settle for the extra point, which was tricky in itself. But Adam Vinatieri, the ageless wonder who knows a thing or two about the snow, you go back all those years uh, when he was playing for the Patriots against the Oakland Raiders, he connected on the extra point to send this game to overtime. However, with just a minute and a half left in the overtime, it was Shady McCoy who exploded for a 21-yard touchdown run, and this was right on the heels of a big passing play by third-string quarterback Joe Webb, who came into the game once Nathan Peterman was knocked out with a concussion, as Buffalo would go on to get the 13-7 victory at home today. And like I said, it wasn't a big offensive day for either team, as Jacoby Brissett was just 11 of 22 passing for 69 yards with a TD. Nathan Peterman, before he left the contest with an injury, was 5 of 10 passing for 57 yards in a TD, while Joe Webb in relief was 2 of 6 for 35 yards. It was all about the running attacks today. You look at Frank Gore, the veteran ball carrier for Indianapolis, had 36 carries for 130 yards, while LaShawn McCoy had 32 carries for a buck 56 with 
a TD. And you look at the defenses, they were on the field a ton this afternoon. But Buffalo did just enough to secure the victory at home. And, you know, I know that the elements out there were not good, but if you were the Bills, this was a contest that you could not afford to lose. And, you know, they did just enough to get that victory today. And, you know, the elements were bad for both teams, but, you know, you just want to go out there and find a win, to find a way to get a win, rather, because winning cures a lot of things. And, you know, when the elements are that bad out there, it feels a little bit better um, if you're if, if you're the winner as opposed to the loser. And for Buffalo, you know, they find now they've allowed themselves to hang around in that wild card picture in the AFC. Now you look ahead to week number fifteen for both of these clubs. And for the Bills, they will be at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Miami Dolphins while Indianapolis has a quick turnaround as they will be at home this Thursday night to take on the Denver Broncos. Now, in the NFC East, you had the 6-6 six and six Dallas Cowboys traveling to MetLife Stadium to take on the 2-10 and 10 New York Giants. Typically, you really would not pay attention to this game since the Giants aren't doing too good this year. However, it marked the return to the starting lineup for Giants quarterback Eli Manning after he was benched heading into the Giants' last game by now former head coach Ben McAdoo. And at first, it looked like the first team that scored 20 points was going to win this contest, and ultimately that's what it turned out to be as the Cowboys really milked the clock to begin the game as they marched, they took the opening kickoff and they marched down the field on a 16-play, 73-yard drive, which ate up nearly eight minutes' worth of game clock to begin the contest as they result, uh, settled for a 21-yard field goal from Dan Bailey to give them the uh, 3 to nothing advantage. The Giants would respond by putting together an even longer drive as New York put together a 17-play, 62-yard drive, which ate up more than nine minutes' worth of game clock as they settled for an Aldrick Rosas field goal from 39 yards out early in the second quarter to not the score at three apiece. Now, later on in the second, the Giants would score the game's touchdown and take the lead when Eli Manning connected with backup tight end Rhett Ellison from a yard out to make it 20 uh, to make it 10 to three as the fans at MetLife Stadium were on their feet for the future Hall of Famer. However, the momentum of this contest changed just before the half as Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott connected with wide receiver Des Bryant on a 50-yard touchdown pass to not to score at 10 apiece. And the score would remain that way heading into the fourth quarter. And midway through the fourth, Dallas was able to regain the lead when Prescott found tight end Jason Witten on a 20-yard touchdown pass to make it 17-10. to And the Cowboys would put the game away on their ensuing drive as Prescott connected with tight end Rod Smith from on an 81-yard touchdown pass to make it 23-10 to as Dan Bailey missed the extra point. And Dallas would go on to win this afternoon at MetLife by the score of 30-10. to And you look inside of the numbers, Dak Prescott was 20 of 30 passing today for 332 yards or three TDs, while Eli Manning was 31 of 46 passing for 228 yards with a TD and two picks. Rod Smith had a big game as he had five grabs, for 113 yards with one TD, while the return of linebacker Sean Lee really changed things for this Cowboys defense as he had 18 tackles. And if you're Dallas, I'll give you credit because, yes, they were facing a 2-10 team. But 
this was still a division game. It was still one of your rivals, and you go out there because you knew it was going to be a hostile environment because Eli Manning was returning to the starting lineup for the Giants, and Dak Prescott simply outplayed Eli Manning, and it's easy to say because obviously Dak Prescott has more talent around him on both sides of the football. But Dallas went out there, and they took care of business offensively with Prescott. And, you know, it was good to see Eli Manning come back to the starting lineup for the Giants because he never should have lost his job in the first place. But, I mean, it was the same old thing. You know, you really can't blame it on Eli because, you know, he doesn't have the the, the talent around him on the offensive side of the football. There's no offensive line. The, The Giants can't run the football, and who is he going to throw the football to? So, uh, you know, once you put all of that together, it's a recipe for disaster. It was just that the way that the Giants organization went about things as far as benching him for Geno Smith, like I said before, if you're going to bench Eli Manning, bench him for Davis Webb, the rookie, because obviously he could be your future. But at the same time, the Giants didn't even give Davis Webb uh, reps in training camp, and he's, he's been inactive all season long. So obviously, you know, we really don't know if he – can be the future. Now, for the Giants organization going forward, it's a situation uh, where, you know, guys, I expected them to play hard, and they did, but on the defensive side of the ball, they really didn't show up today again. So I look at this team, obviously, you know, there's going to be wholesale changes coming for the Giants in the offseason, and rightfully so. But, you know, coming down the stretch, In these final three games, guys are going to be playing for jobs, and it's definitely time for them to step up and try to make some plays. Now, you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. The Giants will be at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, while for the Cowboys, they will find themselves on Sunday night football on the road to take on the Oakland Raiders. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, the team that the Giants share MetLife Stadium with and the New York Jets came into play today with a record of 5-7, and seven, and they were on the road to take on the 3-9 and nine Denver Broncos. Now, the Broncos came into this contest attempting to end their eight-game losing streak, and they looked like a different team. As midway through the third, first quarter, rather, Denver was already up by the score of three to nothing, and they extended that lead when quarterback Trevor Simeon connected with wide receiver Demarius Thomas on a 20-yard touchdown pass to make it 10 to nothing. It was 13 to nothing at the half in favor of Denver, and midway through the third quarter, they extended that lead when Andy Janovich uh, plunged it in from a yard out to make it 20 to nothing. This game was never in doubt as Denver went on to win this contest today by the score of 23 to nothing. Denver dominated the Jets as they held the football today for more than 37 minutes. They limited the Jets to just six first downs and 100 yards of total offense. Broncos offense really didn't light it up either as they only had 273 yards of total offense themselves. But Trevor Simeon was 19 of 31 passing today for 200 yards and a TD, while Demarius Thomas did have eight catches for 93 yards. This Broncos defense really got back to basics as they sacked Jets quarterback Josh McCown four times and has warned Josh McCown as he's been the Jets starter for 
uh, the entire season, but it looks like his season has come to an end as, according to Jets head coach Todd Bowles, McCown did suffer a broken hand today as he was replaced by Bryce Petty. And Bryce Petty did not give the Jets hope for the future as he was just two of nine passing for 14 yards. And I'll tell you like this. People did not expect the Jets to do a lot of things this year. They're 5-8, and eight, and for most people, they have overachieved, which they have. But I'll tell you right now, now we are going to see the team that everybody expected them to be because if the Jets have to rely, and I'm not calling Josh McCown a pro bowler in no way, shape, or form, but now that the Jets are going to have to rely on the law firm of Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg to get it done for them at quarterback for the remainder of the season – it's going to be pretty bad. And it's, you know, I had a friend of mine who said this, and it's very true. Because of the Giants' bad record, and nobody really expected that, they're probably going to get the player that, that the Jets were expected to get because they're going to be worse than the Jets, which they are. But now if you're the Jets, you got to go out there and you got to find yourself a franchise quarterback, whether it's, you know, a trade, drafting, you got to do something. But right now, you know, I said it last year, and I'll say it again now. The guy who's going to be starting for the New York Jets at quarterback in 2018 is not on this roster right now. So Bryce Petty can go out there and attempt to, you know, audition for the final uh, few weeks of the season, but it does not matter because he's not starting material in the National Football League. Now, on the flip side for the Broncos, they they, they look like a different team today. They came into play today riding an eight-game losing streak that was finger-pointing. There was a lot of things going on with this Denver team, and the Broncos got back to basics. You know, they just relied on their defense. The offense still is not pretty, but they found a team this afternoon that could not get it going against their offense. And I don't care who you are. If you get shut out and you only have 100 yards of total offense, you are not beating anybody in the National Football League. This marks the Broncos' first shutout since 2005, and funny that that same shutout came against the same New York Jets organization. So if you're, if you're Denver, you definitely want to play, play the Jets a few more times rather than just once every couple of years. And you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these clubs. And for the Jets, they will be on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the New Orleans Saints. While for Denver, it's a quick turnaround. They'll be on the road this Thursday night to take on the Indianapolis Colts. And finally, it was the five and seven Cincinnati Bengals hosting the three and nine Chicago Bears. And this game was simply dominated by the Bears. They scored early on a Jordan Howard twenty one yard run. And it looked like, you know, the Bengals were going to take over early late early in the pardon me, late in the uh, first quarter when quarterback Andy Dalton connected with uh, wide receiver Brandon LaFell on a fourteen yard touchdown pass to give them the seven to six lead. However, the rest of this contest would be dominated by the Chicago Bears, who possessed the football today for more than 38 minutes, and they racked up nearly 500 yards of total offense against this Bengals defense as Chicago went on a roll in Cincinnati this afternoon by the score of 33-7. to And you look at this, rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky arguably had the best game of his young career as he was 25 or 32 passing for 271 yards, with a TD, and he was sacked twice. But the biggest thing, you look at this Bears running attack today as they had 232 yards on the ground. Jordan Howard, 23 carries for a buck 47 and two TDs. Tariq Cohen, 12 catch, or receptions, rather, or carries, rather, for 80 yards. Kendall Wright, 
10 receptions for 107 yards. You look at Andy Dalton. It was same old Andy Dalton again for the Bengals this afternoon as he was 14 of 29 passing for a buck 21, and it got so bad that he was benched in favor of A.J. McCarron. And if you're Cincinnati, you know, I put them in the same category with the Oakland Raiders. There was simply no sense of urgency this afternoon for this team. You're 5-7. and seven, You're still hanging around in the wild card picture. And you, you had a 3-9 and nine team coming to your place, and you simply did not go out there and take it, uh, take advantage of it. And you look, you look like the three and nine team today. If you were Cincinnati, and I look at the Bengals, they have one more home game for the season, and it's probably going to be for the folks in Cincinnati. It's probably going to be their last time to see Marvin Lewis as the Bengals head coach. He's been there for so long, but I mean, the mediocrity and the losing has finally, I guess, gotten enough of uh, team owner Mike Brown. But at the same time, Mike Brown really doesn't like to pay anybody. Thus, he's probably just going to simply send or give Marvin Lewis his walking papers. And I keep saying it about the Chicago Bears. This is a team that nobody's going to want to face in 2018. They're young, and they're on the cusp of doing some things. And they've been so close this season. And if the Bears could finish on a strong note here for the regular season, it could propel them to doing some bigger things in 2018. Now you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these teams. For Chicago, they will be on the road this Saturday afternoon to take on the Detroit Lions, while the Bengals will find themselves on the road to take on another NFC North foe in the Minnesota Vikings. And I prematurely spoke, as I said, that was the last game. The last game that I'm going to talk about, and it was the last game of the week so far, you had the 2-10 and 10 San Francisco 49ers on the road to take on the 4-8 and eight Houston Texans. And it was 3-3 three to three late in the second quarter when the Niners scored the game's first touchdown as it was a two-yard run from running back Carlos Hyde to give them the 10-3 advantage. Now, Houston would immediately respond as T.J. Yates, who came in for an injured Tom Savage, a quarterback, connected with wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins from seven yards out to make it 10-9. Now, San Francisco was able to, you know, make the most of it. Their, their possession was just 54 seconds left as they marched down the field, and Robbie Gold connected on a 35-yard field goal as time expired to make it 13-9. to Now, Houston would get the football to begin the third quarter, and they put together a six-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off when Yates connected with wide receiver Duke Hopkins on a 29-yard touchdown pass to give the Texans the 16-13 to advantage. Now, it was 16 apiece late in the third quarter when Niners quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo connected with tight end Garrett Selleck from six yards out to make it 23-16, to Gold would add another field goal in the fourth quarter as San Francisco would go on to win this afternoon on the road by the score of 26-16. to And for Jimmy G, that's two wins in a row as the Niners starting quarterback. And he was a solid guy today as he was 20-33 of 33 passing for 334 yards with one TD and a pick, and he was sacked twice. The Niners did have 102 yards on the ground with 78 coming of those coming from Carlos Hyde, while Marquise Goodwin had six receptions for 106 yards. And for San Francisco, I put them in the same category with the Bears because now they've got their franchise quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. Now it is time to build around him. And I like what John Lynch did 
last year by taking Solomon Thomas early because if you watch the 49ers play this year, Solomon Thomas is always flying around the football off of that Niners D-line, and I think he is going to be, you know, the starting point. He is a starting point for rebuilding this team on the defensive side of the ball, and the Niners are beginning to have it come together. And I think this could be another dangerous team in 2018 because they are finishing 2017 on the right foot. And for the Texans, the injuries just continuously pile up before you lost to Sean Watson for the season. Now you lose Tom Savage at quarterback with a concussion. And they're really running out of quarterbacks right now because now they had to go back to T.J. Yates. So that simply is not going to get it done. I mean, the defense can keep them in the games, but if you don't have a quarterback, you are not beating too many teams in the National Football League. Now, you look ahead to week number 15 for both of these teams. Houston will be on the road to take on Jacksonville, while San Francisco will be at home to take on Tennessee. And very quickly, you look at the divisional standings. New England can wrap up the AFC East with a victory tomorrow night. They are 10-2 and two right now, and they're rolling because they've won eight straight. Pittsburgh is 10-2, and two and they're at home right now on Sunday Night Football as they are up on the Baltimore Ravens by the score of 20-14, to 14, but they are in firm control of the AFC North, and actually a victory here tonight wins the AFC North for Pittsburgh. Jacksonville is up by a game on Tennessee, but there's still plenty of football left, three more games, and of course these two teams do play in week number 17, and Tennessee has already beaten Jacksonville this season. Look at the AFC West, the Raiders are right there at 6-7, and seven, and of course the Chiefs and Chargers are tied at 7-6, and six, and right now Kansas City does have the advantage over Los Angeles because of uh, the win that KC was able to get on the road in Carson earlier this season. However, I look at the way that the Chargers are playing right now, and they are the team to beat in this division. Philly clinched the NFC East this afternoon with their big victory over the Los Angeles Rams. Minnesota still has an opportunity to clinch the NFC North next week, but you have Detroit and Green Bay right there at 7-6, and six. and like I said, I don't see either one of them catching the Vikings. In the NFC South, both New Orleans and Carolina are 9-4, and four, while Atlanta is 8-5. and five. Now, New Orleans lost to Atlanta on Thursday night. That was big. Carolina won today, so now they are tied with New Orleans, and obviously the Saints get the tiebreaker due to the fact that they swept the uh, Panthers this season. However, Carolina, you know, they, they appear to be a different team right now. They have to be feeling good about themselves because of that loss by the Saints and, of course, their victory because they can still have they still have an opportunity to win this division, and I think we are going to see some good football from all three of these teams, Falcons included, coming down the stretch here in the final three weeks. Now, the Rams are up by a game on the Seattle Seahawks, and they have their rematch next week, and the Rams are definitely going to have to buckle their chin straps because Seattle knows that if they finish tied with the Rams, should they win next week, uh, they get the division. So that's going to be a very important game right there. You look at the playoff standings in both the AFC and the NFC, and starting off with the AFC, Pittsburgh and New England are tied at 10-2 and right now. And regardless of what happens tonight with the Steelers and tomorrow with the Patriots, next Sunday afternoon is going to be the biggie as the Steelers will meet the Patriots with home field advantage in the AFC on the line. Jacksonville is currently a three seed with a record of nine and four. 
Kansas City is the four seed at seven and six. The two wild card teams right now for the moment are Tennessee and Baltimore, but you have the Chargers and Bills right there with records of seven and six. And the Chargers get the tiebreaker over the Bills due to their victory a few weeks ago. Then you also have the Raiders at six and seven. The Dolphins could potentially be six and seven if they are able to upset the Patriots tomorrow night. Now over in the NFC, Philadelphia is still the top dog with a record of 11 and two as they got that big victory today versus the Rams. You have the Vikings at 10 and three with the second bye in the NFC, while both the Rams and Saints are nine and four, and the Rams will get the nod over the Saints due to the fact that they beat New Orleans at home a few weeks ago. Your two wild cards right now are Carolina and Atlanta. Atlanta has a record of eight and five, as do the Seattle Seahawks. However, Atlanta holds a tiebreaker over Seattle due to the fact that they went on the road and got the best of the Seahawks a few weeks ago. It's a log jam behind Seattle as Detroit, Green Bay, and Dallas are all 7-6. and six. However, Green Bay does have a tiebreaker over Dallas due to the fact that they went on the road when Aaron Rodgers was healthy and defeated the Cowboys earlier this season. And don't let Green Bay finish tied with Seattle because Green Bay also holds the tiebreaker over the Seahawks due to their victory at home at Lambeau in week number one. Now, very quickly, looking ahead to week number 15 in the National Football League season. It's going to get started this Thursday night when you're going to have the Denver Broncos taking on the Indianapolis Colts. Now, early in the season, or in the preseason, rather, it looked like this was going to be a tantalizing game, but injuries have really taken away from both of these clubs, so I don't expect the ratings to be high for this contest. Next Saturday afternoon in the NFC North, you're going to have the Detroit Lions hosting the Chicago Bears, and it's going to be important for the Lions to go out there and secure this victory because they need to hang around in the playoff picture. However, it won't be hungry, uh, very easy rather against a hungry Bears team. Next Saturday night, a huge one in the AFC West is you're going to have the 7-6 and six Chargers taking on the 7-6 and six Kansas City Chiefs, and I know that the Chiefs have not been playing well as of late. But with first place on the line in the division against one of the hottest teams in the NFL, if you can't get up for this game, if you're the Chiefs, I don't know what will make you really get pumped. Now, next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the Dolphins taking on the uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills. And if you're Miami, the last thing that you want traveling to western New York to take on the Bills is another uh, weather outlook like the one that we saw today in Buffalo. It's going to be the Browns traveling to take on the Ravens. And if you're Cleveland, I don't know what else you can do to try to find a way to win a game. It's your last home game of the season, so you got to go out there and at least try to get that first dub. It's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And after what we saw today from the, from the Cincinnati Bengals, this should be the perfect opportunity for the Minnesota Vikings to get back on track after they fell on the road today against the Carolina Panthers. You're going to have the New Orleans Saints hosting the New York Jets. And if you're that Saints defense going up against Bryce Petty, you are definitely licking your chops. It's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to MetLife Stadium to take on the New York football Giants. And if you're Philly, you definitely will get a good opportunity to see what Nick Foles is made of against the lowly Giants as he'll have the opportunity to get some rhythm for himself at quarterback heading into the postseason. It's going to be the Arizona Cardinals 
traveling to take on the Washington Redskins. And if you're Arizona, you still have an opportunity in this playoff race, but it won't be easy against the Washington Redskins and quarterback Kirk Cousins. We could see the return of Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, next Sunday afternoon for the Green Bay Packers when they take on the Carolina Panthers. But if you're Aaron Rodgers coming back from an injury, the last thing that you want to face is this Carolina defense right now, which is flying around to the football and putting punishment on their opponents. You're going to have the Houston Texans traveling to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you're Jacksonville, this is a game that you should easily win. But this is a young team, and they still have to learn that they cannot look past their opponents. All the marbles will be on the line in the NFC West next Sunday afternoon in Seattle when the 8-5 and Seahawks host the 9-4 and Los Angeles Rams. And if you are the Seahawks, you want to go out there and show that you are still the boss in this division. While if you're the Rams, you definitely want to show the old dogs in the division that a new day has come. Like I said before, all of the marbles for home field advantage in the AFC will be on the line when the New England Patriots travel to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when it comes to the Patriots and Steelers, you simply just sit back, have a cold drink in your hand, and watch the greatness. It's going to be the Tennessee Titans traveling to take on the San Francisco 49ers. And after the Titans' road game against the Arizona Cardinals today did not work out, they are definitely going to have to pack a lunch once again if they are going to get the best of the San Francisco 49ers. Next Sunday night, you're going to have the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Oakland Raiders, two of the most storied uh, franchises in the NFL, and both of them will be desperate for a victory to hang around in the postseason picture in their respective conferences. And finally, next Monday night, it's going to be the Atlanta Falcons traveling to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Falcons have had the symptoms of playing down to their opponents all season long. And the last thing that they can do is do it once again with so much on the line against a lowly Buccaneers team. So there you have it, folks. And once again, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. Now, of course, I will be back on the air next Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, recapping today's action for week number 15 in the NFL. And you can also find me back on here tomorrow night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, as I will be discussing LeVar Ball and the Ball family and their positive or negative impact on the world of the NBA. Now, if you're on Twitter... Please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it'll be my pleasure to follow you right back. Also, you can check out the Sports Discussion Group on Facebook at the Sports Depot 365. You're always welcome to join. Drop a line, drop a comment, and join in on one of the best sports conversations going on the web. You can also check me out at 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com, where I am the total sports package for the total fan, as I put up a podcast today about the uh, new and improved New York Yankees with outfielder Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. It's a joy to see you grow and grow on a daily basis. And like I always say, I know that you are poised to do some big things in this world of ours. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care. Have a good night. 
and thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.